Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode number 12. Yes, we're already at 12. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and today we're going to be talking a little bit about diversification and whether or not it can actually help avoid systematic market risk. Uh, And then, you know, just thinking about some of the things that we've seen recently in the markets where the markets had some volatility and, you know, any number of pundits come out and it's very typical. They come out and they give advice, like think about the long term and be properly positioned, try and keep cash on, on hand to buy dips you know, evaluate your risk tolerance, don't panic, but be diversified. One of the things you always hear is be diversified. But let's kind of think about and spend a little time just looking into that further. And maybe is there a better solution, especially when thinking about the different types of risks? So I had this quote in in my book. And of course, as always, I'll, I'll link to the book, Broken Pie Chart. And it was under the chapter... I titled, Why Diversification Fails. And one of the quotes that I put in there was from Mark Cuban, you know, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks and well-known member of Shark Tank. Uh, He's been on that show for a while. Uh, But apparently he, back in 2011, in a Wall Street Journal video interview, he basically said that diversification is for idiots. And he really got on buy and hold, you know, buying and, and just holding stocks that methodology. But the context in that interview, as I read it, had more to do with Mark Cuban's idea that individual investors can't really diversify enough to substitute for knowledge. And so one of the things with that statement is, is it more true than false when it comes to the idea of diversification as a way to lessen or eliminate risk in investing? And so when we think about risk in investing, there's really, you know, two types of risk that you can try and uh, cut down on. And one of them is diversifiable risk and the other is systematic market risk. Of course, there are others, but just kind of focusing on those. And systematic market risk is the idea that, you know, the whole market goes down all at once. And it doesn't matter if you have a thousand different companies you can't really diversify away from that. And that's certainly a, a big part of investors' fears. And the other is what's called diversifiable risk. And in that case, it's just the idea that, hey, you know, if you had a single stock, you have single stock risk. And we know that single stock risk is very susceptible to large gap downs. You know, when earnings come out and there's a a bad earnings report, or heck, even a good earnings report. We saw that a couple of years ago. Disney came out with a positive earnings result. They beat their estimates, but they had some language around subscriptions and the future of ESPN. And I can't really remember the specifics around it, but it gapped down overnight 10%, close to open. And so single stock risk is really the risk where one company comes out with bad news Maybe it's a drug company and you don't get an approval for uh, some new drug that they're looking at. And, you know, we all remember the Enrons of the world that investing in just one thing uh, has that single stock risk. I remember Crocs, that was a company that was flying high for a while. You know, the one that does the sandals and they, they had a bad earnings report. So it's just this idea, if you hold one investment, you've got single stock risk. And so 
instead of holding one investment or holding just a few, the idea is that you know you want to have the benefits of building well-diversified portfolios. And when you hold investments that are not all correlated, if one sells off, the others theoretically will reduce the risk by either not going down as much or holding their value maybe going up. And so, you know, if a portfolio consists of a single security, if sudden news comes out, the CEO gets arrested, they miss earnings, uh, any number of reasons the stock gets hammered, and you've got all that risk in one single security. But diversification, in its sort of classical definition, looks to hold a lot of different stocks, a lot of different securities, and you want to spread the risk out and smooth it out. Uh, which reduces the volatility. And, and some people point to to building portfolios with something like, you know, uh, 20 different names. And there's some math on this. If you look at a finance textbook, I remember reading that if, if you go from owning one single security to 40, you can expect the standard deviation or the volatility to go to, from 35% all the way down to 20%. It is worth mentioning, though, that... Um, there's been some research that says you've got to, you sort of have the law of diminishing returns once you get more than 40 different companies. Um, and so the, there's only so much diversifying away risk that you can do. And, you know, it, it gets a little bit overkill. But the question that, that comes up is, you know, does this really, this types of diversification alone, does it reduce risk? And if we think about a year like 2008, not really, not really when we think about equities. And although bonds did provide, depending upon the types of bonds, they at least either didn't go down as much as stocks or some types of bonds went up. Uh, But as we'll talk about, there's some different nuances there, especially with interest rates so low that you have to kind of consider. And so most people, when they think about diversification, it's the idea you're holding all these different companies and you're holding companies that are not all correlated, meaning they don't all move at the same time. So you wouldn't necessarily have you know 30 different stocks, but they're all Chinese internet companies. You'd have different industries, different sectors, maybe different market caps. And all of those things together would mean that you're diversifying away, um, you know, certainly single stock risk, but you, you're handling your the risk that can be diversified away, diversification. Um, and so... It's important when you think about diversification in the classic sense to understand it's it's you know you've got to have these different companies, um, but you know sometimes what many investors may not realize too who use let's say ETFs or mutual funds is a lot of times there's um, some overlap in those funds and so for example if we looked at the SPY which is the S and P five hundred. ETF and the the QQQ, the triple Qs, which is the NASDAQ 100 ETF. Well, in the SPY, and and this is a little bit old, but I think in the end of uh, 2017, so we'd have to look up the current numbers, Apple had the highest weighting in that, meaning it was just under 4%. So if you bought the SPY back in the end of 2017, Apple would represent roughly 4% of your holdings. If you bought the Qs, though, Apple was almost 12.5%. That's more of a tech-heavy index, of course. But Apple would represent more like 12.5% of the weighting in those securities. 
So sometimes one of the things I've noticed when I talk to prospective uh, clients or investors is we're looking at the holdings and sometimes there's a lot more overlap than they think, meaning the stocks or stocks and, and holdings that are in one fund uh, might show up in another. And so having all these funds and having all these ETFs don't necessarily mean that you're not holding the same stuff. So you may not have as much diversification as you actually think. Uh, so that's certainly something to, to think about. The other types of, you know, we think about classic asset allocation, and, you know, this is kind of the idea for the book, right? Broken pie chart. But you get a statement, you have a pie chart, and it says you've got X percent in bonds, X percent in stocks. You've got X percent in international and, you know, any number of things. But most times, classical portfolios are made up of some percentage of stocks and some percentage of bonds. And so you've got, let's say, you know, in a growth model, you might have 80% in stocks and 20% in bonds. In a balanced, uh, might be 60-40. And 60-40 is, I always say, that sort of classical, magical allocation that a lot of people point to. Uh, somebody who is looking more for income might be more inclined to do, you know, 30% stocks, 70% bonds. And, you know, the the old adage was to take 100 minus your age, and that's how much you should have in in stocks. Um, and so, you know, when we think about diversification, classically, it's been thought of as having certain percentage of stocks, certain percentage in bonds, and then in the stock portion, instead of having this concentrated investments into a few names, you have a broad diversification across different sectors and regions and things like that. So the question is, you know, does that really help against the two types of risk? And I would say, sure. In the first one, where you want to have diversification, you don't want to have single stock risk or concentrated stock risk. Having a broad portfolio, certainly, you know, I'd be inclined to say, yeah, that that achieves that. Uh, instead of just holding Apple in your portfolio, you've got a, a fund or you've got a collection of stocks that are make up a broad representation of the market in different areas. And that's what you're finding there is you're, re, you're diversifying away um, your single stock, your concentrated risk, and, and you've achieved through diversification, um, you know, what you can do to eliminate that. The other type, though, is that systematic market risk. And that's the one that a lot of people are afraid of even those that might own broad-based indexes or, or funds. And so the question comes up, you know, could you diversify through sectors or regions? And by sectors, I mean you might look at uh, you know, financials or consumer cyclicals. You might look at market caps. So, for example, you know, mega cap, U.S. mega caps, U.S. large cap, U.S. small caps, all those different types of things. And would that have worked or will it work, you know, if we look at some of the, the large drawdowns like October 20 uh, or to, October 2007 till March of 2009 was sort of that period of the peak in the market to the trough uh, during the Great Recession. And so if you look and you say, okay, what did the SPY do? And the SPY, of course, represents the S&P 500, which is a weighted uh, index of different companies. 
So the larger the market cap of the company, the larger the weighting in that index and the more influence they'll have on there. And the S&P 500 or the SPY was down about 56.5% from peak to trough. Of course, we know in 2008, it wound up coming back uh, a little bit from, uh, you know, 2008 was minus 37. It drew down in 2009, but peak to trough, it was down 56%. So the question comes up, okay, well, that was a broad-based index and you had systematic market risk that brought that down, even though you had diversification. And then, okay, what if you just did all the different sectors in the market? That's often thought of as a way to eliminate or reduce risk. And we all know what financials did in 2008. Financials were down peak to trough. Uh, If you look at the XLF, that was down about 82.5%. Obviously, the crisis in 2008 stem from the financial area with mortgages and with uh, collateralized debt obligations and any number of things. So that's not surprising. Healthcare though, okay, well, healthcare, people need to get treated. Well, that was down close to 40%, peak to trough. Industrials, minus 63%. Consumer discretionary, uh, that was down 57.5%. Oh, here we go. Consumer staples. So that's your toothpaste and your shaving cream. Oversimplifying that category. But consumer staples were down over 30%. That's uh, in a relative basis, uh, that was down the least. Uh, materials, that's down 58%. Technology, down 52%. Utilities was down 45 And then energy was down 49 And so these are the, the main sectors in the, uh, let's say, the U.S. market. And you can see, while not everything was as bad as financials, just diversifying into a bunch of different sectors certainly um, you know, didn't didn't lessen. It's better than being, I guess, all in one. Uh, but you certainly, I don't think you would have said, well, I think consumer staples is a place to be, so I'll invest in there. And by the way, you still would be down over 30%. And then sometimes you hear, you know, people on the financial news networks and saying, you know, it's important to have diversification across different sectors, different market caps. And, and they also say, well, look, have a, a piece of your portfolio in the international space. So looking at that same period, October of 2009 to March of 2009, that's that peak to trough, meaning the top of the market to the to the bottom. Okay, so we look at Japan via their, you know, an ETF that represents the MSCI Japan. That was down almost 53%. China large cap down 63%. Uh, MSCI Emerging Markets down 60%. You kind of get the idea. MSCI EAFE International, that's a little more developed uh, international, down 62. Europe down 64. MSCI Australia down 68. You get the idea. Okay, so what we've seen is, although you have diversification, if there's some sort of a, a major market event, a material downdraft in the markets, diversification alone may fail at that point. And in fact, if you look at the numbers from the crisis in 2008 that started, of course, um, you know, in in 2000, uh, 2007, sorry, October 2007 to, uh, to 2009, March of 2009, October 2007 to March of 2009, sorry, uh, that's, uh, that just kind of goes to show you that being in all those different areas, you still would have seen the markets come down. So, you know, that's, uh, 
that's sort of a good indication of how systematic market risk diversification may fail there. And if you look at, you know, one of the things too is everything is becoming more interrelated. You only need to go back to, to 1998, 1998, where the Asian contagion. So that was, uh, you had some stuff going on in Southeast Asia, devaluation, the Thai bot, um, and, and any number of things. And that sort of careened around the world and caused a, a short-term sell-off in the markets. But we look at fixed income as a hedge. And I mentioned that although fixed income, in fact, if you look at the core U.S. aggregate bond index, which, by the way, um, year to date is down a little over 4.5%, but that was up 0.57%. So yes, if you had the U.S. aggregate bond index, the AGG, which is a popular ETF paired with, let's say, um, some equity allocation, it would have lessened the losses. And while bonds traditionally have been a nice uh, ballast in the portfolio, they've been a nice offset, the challenge right now with bonds is that the opportunity cost of holding those for protection with these low rates, and, and especially these rates where your real return, meaning your return minus inflation, is really not there currently. There's not a lot of return there. And so... And the other thing that you have is, is you've got interest rate risk on bonds. And the way bonds are, the, the fact that we had interest rates near zero for almost a decade and the Fed is currently raising rates, bond market values can come under pressure because as interest rates go up, bond prices go down and it has to do with the, the present value of future cash flows and, and things like that. And so bonds, uh, while in the past when they were yielding a lot more, uh, may have been a little more of a, an optimal hedge. Uh, at these interest rates, you're simply not getting much in a real return. So you're probably saying, well, okay, you've, you've sort of cherry-picked a really bad time in the market. And that was by design where, you know, and, and the reason to pick that period is when market sell-offs are really bad. The point was that diversification may not really help you very much. It may fail. And so one of the things, and I put this in the book as well, if you look at a very short-term period and see, let's say, how the different sectors all, all operated, we can go back to 2015 and, and August 18th to August 24th, when the S&P was down just a little bit under 10%. And that's, that's a pretty big move in that short amount of time. It's kind of the same story. I mean, financials down 10 and a half, healthcare down 9, 9.7, industrials down 9.13. Uh, you kind of get the idea. Again, consumer staples only down negative 7.83, utilities down negative 5, energy down 13%. And you can, uh, you can imagine what the rest of them were. And the point of bringing this example up is even looking at a short-term example when the markets came under panic, the... You know, diversification into different sectors only helped you so much. And so that's, uh, you know, that's one of the things um, that I think is important to understand. And the other is, you know, we get questions sometimes, hey, why not just be in dividend stocks? If markets go down, at least I have the dividend. Well, the challenge with that is that if markets sell off materially, you have a material bear market, the dividend can only help you so much. 
And remember, in theory, when your stock is paying a dividend, you're paying out retain, retained earnings, you're, you're paying out some of the value. But I thought it was uh, constructive to go back and look at the highest paying dividend stocks in 2008 and how they did on an annual basis. And so obviously, uh, we know that some financials and some car companies got into trouble. Uh, but I thought it was constructive to look at, you know, General Motors was down 87%. Citigroup was down 77%. GE, General Electric was down 56 um, You've got AT&T down 31%. Uh, Pfizer was down 22 Home Depot, uh, at least of the the highest paying dividend stocks in 2008 was only down 14%. Of course, it's easy to say, well, you just should have been in Home Depot. But remember, if you're going to diversify, you're going to be in a lot of different things. And although they're paying dividends, uh, those dividends did not stop markets from systematically selling off. And so, you know, there's, um, there's a lot of reasons why diversification only goes so far. And while you can diversify away single stock risk, concentrated risk, diversification may not help you with systematic market risk, meaning when the whole market is going down. And so, you know, we think about going back to the idea of whenever there's a panic, you've got uh, experts coming on the air and you've got them writing about things. And, and let's think about this. They always say, well, you know, think about the long term. But what if you don't have, what if your long term is you're going to retire in five years or you're already retired or you're in that final push, that final 10 years towards when you want to retire? It's easy to say, well, you know, markets come down, but think about the long term. Um, You know, so there's probably more optimal things. Let me go through another couple of these. Be properly positioned. You know, that's another one you hear. If your portfolio is properly positioned, you can weather the downturns. And it's it's really just talking about diversification another way. Um, the one that I think is a little bit uh, interesting is the whole idea of you know keeping your keeping some powder dry, the idea of keeping cash in the portfolio to be able to uh, take advantage of dips in the market. This one is always interesting to me. How much cash, how long do you keep it in cash? Because let's be honest, especially over the last 10 years, cash has not been paying anything. In fact, on a real basis, you're losing purchasing power on that cash because inflation is higher than the return on cash. And so, you know, we know that being invested over time is sort of one of the the mantras to that you always hear about. And, and that's correct. I mean, you've you've got to be in the markets to sort of take advantage of those. So I'm not really sure how helpful that is and how much cash and for how long. And, and by the way, if you're in cash, um, that's a sleeve that's not participating, let's say, in the growth when you have up markets. So the other one that you hear is evaluate your risk tolerance. Well, certainly that's always a, a good idea. And one of the things that's interesting about risk tolerance, if you talk to people at the tops of, of really strong markets, they're probably more apt to take more risk than they should uh, because they they have that sort of recency bias where um, maybe they missed out or maybe they're, um, they they don't really think about the downside. If you also ask peer, people in 2009, what's your risk tolerance? They'd probably be more apt to stay in cash. And so while that's always a, a good idea, and I think framed another way, it should be if these types of downturns or 
the prospect of a downturn really worries you, um, that's where you got to think about some of the strategies that I'm going to talk about, um, which have real protections in them. And then, of course, you always hear the don't panic, um, be diversified. You should never panic. But anytime that markets are acting in a way that causes you some some pain, um, don't panic, but it should be a little bit of a wake-up call. And a wake-up call meaning there are strategies out there that can help get a good piece of the upside, but reduce materially the downside. And that's where I think, and I'll post to a podcast I did on hedging strategies. And so to me, all of this about diversification is fine. Diversification works to an extent. Uh, diversification can help, certainly during up markets, it can help diversify away that concentrated risk in, in just a few names. But if markets are bad enough, diversification can only do so much. And as we've seen in a market like 2008, 2009, the losses were still substantial. It didn't matter where you were, whether you're in high dividend stocks and in international and um, you know consumer cyclicals, right? And so the solution really to this is instead to look at strategies that let you invest in the market, but at the same time have material hedges, meaning protections in the portfolio that can put a floor in the portfolio. And these are hard hedges, right? So things that would increase in value if if the markets are going down. And you can see with a a profit and loss chart um, sort of what those are. Diversification is sort of a soft hedge, meaning you hope it works, uh, but if it, it may not, there's nothing sort of embedded in there. And so I'll put a link to uh, uh, those podcasts. And I think now is a good time to start thinking about, you know, especially with the market, uh, we'll be at 10 years next June since the last recession. And you'll have plenty of people uh, giving predictions on that. But some people are starting to think, okay, well, this market's been uh, been running a little bit. So what should I do? And and one of the things I think people should start looking at is if you're not in a strategy that hedges the downside or buffers the downside, now may be the time to to look at that. So hopefully this was helpful in thinking about diversification and also understanding the two types of diversification that you have, that diversifiable risk and systematic market risk. And then there are solutions out there which can allow investors to, to stay in the markets but also sleep a little better at night because you you know that you have some some downside protection. So with that, I will uh, wrap it up. Uh, plan is to have a special guest on next week's episode. Uh, so tune in uh, next week as well. And we will talk to you all soon. Have a great day. Bye.